literally so quick. I was like, boom, let's check if fully charged is available. Fullycharged.com, right, five grand, boom, I'll have that. And I was just, just like, just unstoppable. Nothing could stop me because of my determination for what I wanted to do and achieve. It was, it was really quite, um, quite, quite amazing. Hey guys, welcome back to the Back Yourself Show. This week we have something a little bit different and I'm super excited to have this guy on. It's Ben Giaconelli. He is the CEO and creator of Fully Charged, which is a modern transportation business. Now, I'm not going to butcher this by trying to explain it, so I'm going to let him do it. So Ben, look, tell me about yourself. Tell me where you're from and how this even came to being and what you're doing now. Okay, great. Thank you for the introduction. Um, so um, I've always been obsessed with um, transport sounds strange it does <laughs> i've uh, i've always loved as you know a young boy playing with remote control cars to go-karts to motorbikes and i thought it's been like my main obsession over the years and i was brought up in uh, the uh, kind of supercar and hypercar um world and uh, my father um ran a couple of different businesses and, and was also obsessed with cars. Um, and um, and uh, I was lucky enough to be taken to school in some of the most exciting cars that, that we know today, you know, from 959 Porsches to, um, you know, limited edition Range Rovers, whatever. So at a very young age, I was totally obsessed with, with transport. Now, um, having worked under my father's umbrella for, um, for quite some time from the age of about 17 when I left school to about 27. He was a great teacher and I, I was lucky enough to, to really learn a lot at how to sell and how to run a business. So I had a huge head start in, in, that, in that area. Although I was treated as a, 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 a kind of um, low-end employee and started off as a car washer for him, I worked my way up become sales director of his company, Romans International. And um, and then from there, I really wanted to do my own thing under my own umbrella with no help that was completely my baby. And having been driven, having, having I've been driving these cars and it was very tempting to, to go quite fast. Um, and I did very well in keeping my license for a long time, but then eventually I think, um, I think it was the second time I lost my license for speeding. I was um, completely imprisoned uh, in, in my own world in, in London, um, and I couldn't drive around anywhere. I was never really a cyclist. I always didn't like getting sweaty and driving, you know, to places all puffed out and having exercised in bad pollution. It just wasn't for me. But I was at a show in... Um, Monaco, which was called Top Marks, um, and uh, and there was this mad inventor there who basically had this uh, bike. Um, it was called the M55, and he'd made 55 of these bikes, and they were 28,000 pounds each. And um, I did a deal with him, saying I, I know how to sell these. I've got the clients for them, blah 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 blah. And and he gave me one, and uh, I managed to walk away from this car show, having never met this guy before, and uh, him basically giving me a 28 grand bike. Um, on a kind of sale or return basis. And I went off and got back to London. I was cycling around everywhere. And I was like, holy shit, this is the future. This is totally untapped. Why on earth are everyone not riding around on these bikes? 
you know, obviously not the 28 gram one, but even, you know, when I did my research, there was fairly good technology out there that was just coming out from the likes of companies like Bosch, who you'll know from your grandmother's dishwasher or whatever it may be that have been around for years. And um, I was just riding around on these bikes and literally I worked it out in my head, you know, this is what I want to do and this is, I need to start a business. Um, and it was like, never started my own business. I've seen businesses being run well, but I've, I've never seen a business actually started. And I've always admired from afar people that have started these businesses and particularly people that have sold them. And, and for me, that was how I saw that I was going to make my own mark was build a business and, and potentially sell it. You know, having missed the dot-com boom and whatever it may have been, that was a way that I thought I can do this. I can do something I love, something my own way. And then I can, you know, I can potentially have a really awesome income from it or, or sell it and, and kind of find another project. Um, so yeah, it's been a really um, exciting journey. Um, uh, just just the thought process of it has been exciting. Yeah, yeah. I, I can certainly relate to that. I think it sounds amazing. So um, we'll, we'll geek out on what cars took you to school later because that sounds pretty good. I imagine you're quite popular with your mates. Uh, yeah, can I have a lift home, Ben, please? Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, so... I love that. So when we talk about that startup founder journey, so there's that passion that you had, which most people have a passion for, for something. Everyone's got a passion for something they really care about, but you were just surrounding yourself. And you, were you actively looking for something that you wanted to do on your own? Or was it just happened, this opportunity was there and you took it? Or were you already in that mindset of being like, I want to do this on my own. I want to, I want to take the next step. You know, um, being a sales director is great because you sort of run your own business anyway, because you go through that, hustle of like, I've got nothing, but I've got to go and buy, get some money to make this happen. So it's very akin to what it's like to be a founder in terms of training. But you know, were you looking for something or was it you were already in that mindset? So, so I think with family businesses, the first generation handover is always the, the, the hardest. And my dad is self-made and, and made his own business from nothing. And he's quite a control freak, typical kind of entrepreneurial scripted behavior. And he, you know, he wanted to give me the business and wanted to hand it over to me, but at the same time, he wanted to keep control. And it was just a bit hectic. So at a younger age, I always dreamt that I would take over his business and do it. But then at a stage, I was just like, you know what? I really just want to do my own thing and have my own self-respect and, uh, and start something from nothing. So I was actively looking. And I remember I lived in, in Wandsworth in a, in a place called the Tonsleys. And, um, and at the top of my street, there was a little bike shop. And I always see it thinking two wheels, two wheels, two wheels is the future of the city. And I, and I was like, oh God, do I really want to be in that trade? It's a bit grubby and it's like, you know, it's a bit greasy and like, it doesn't really actually look that profitable. And then w when I saw, when I discovered the e-bike, that's when I was just like, bang, uh, literally hit me in the face. I was like, that's the shit. That's, that's what I want to do. And, um, and I remember all the time, I always used to say to people like, my WhatsApp or BBM status was always yeah, like fully yeah. charged. Yeah, when I was like, you know, having rested and whether I was going out on a night out or whether I was, you know, kind of just feeling great after detoxing and doing some exercise, I'd always like write fully charged. And I, I was just like, literally so quick. I was just like, boom, let's check if fully charged is available. Fullycharged.com, right? Five grand, boom, I'll have that. And I was just, just like, just, 
unstoppable. Nothing could stop me because of my determination for what I wanted to do and achieve. It was, it was really quite, um, quite, quite amazing. Yeah, I admire that. So what was the first thing you did? So you get this, this guy, he gives you his 28 grand mega bike. Yeah, like, what do you do first? So you, you register the domain, but then what? So retail being my area of expertise, I went and researched the, the retail establishments that were selling electric bikes. And there was a guy on Portobello Road. There was a guy in the Arches just by Power Station. And there was um, another guy who, um, uh, who was uh, uh, running a one shop in uh, Marlebone, um, which he just bought. And he was dabbling in a few electric bikes called Belarusian. And, um, and I researched all of them and I kind of went in there as a distributor style figure, like knowing that I wanted to obviously start a retail environment um, and, and just researched them as just like the expertise isn't here. Um, and, um, and these guys don't know what they're, um, they're, they're not exhibiting the correct technology, um, which is out there, which is, which was far more present in Germany, France and, um, so, so I'd, I'd gone out to a couple of uh, retail environments in, in Amsterdam, uh, Berlin, um, cities that I really like, you know, just go there. These are cool cities. Let's see how they're doing it. Because the big thing as well was it, it wasn't considered cool. So there was this whole stigma attached to electric bikes that it was for fat, old, lazy people. And, um, and so I went to the cool cities and were like, how are they doing it? And I, I met a, a good friend, he's a good friend of mine now, who owns a shop called Wing Wheels in Berlin. And we went out, we went to Soho House in Berlin, and he was like just showing me. And it was just amazing, because they always, the Germans have been so far ahead in terms of technology, whether it's bathrooms, kitchens, Mercedes versus Vauxhall, or wh whatever it is, they've always had that benchmark. And so I went out there and discovered it. And, and I was just like so impressed. And then I started doing the, the research and my little brother was at uni. He was at Oxford Brooks and, um, and he got me the Mintel reports, um, which basically allowed me to do a little bit more kind of in-depth research. And, uh, and then I started looking at the statistics and the numbers. And it was like one in five bikes sold in Germany was electric like one in 120 sold in the UK was electric and like one in seven in France. And it's now one in two in Holland, and one in three in Germany. We don't know what it is in the UK, but we guess it's about one in 70. But at, like the market was in such infancy. It was so obvious. It was just hitting me in the face. And, you know, I was just like, I need to start this ASAP. So I got ready to start and um, changed my lifestyle a little bit as well. And moved from West London to East London, where East London was a, a slightly more advanced cycling culture, um, and um, and then I was ready to strike. And it was um, yeah, the next part was quite was was, a re was really fun, and that's where I started really taking the risk. Because at the moment, all I'd really done at that point in time, what I've really done is research and borrowed a bike and taken a few flights and had some fun. Now it was yeah, like yeah. I'm actually putting sure. all of my savings and everything I've got on the line. And uh, that's when it gets really exciting. It does. Well, absolutely. Well, let's dig into that first bit for a second because there's some really great tidbits there. So that, that stage of market research, completely um, an underutilized stage of the process. And I love that you've done so much in there because people tend to look at it and be like, 
yeah, 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 there's a market for this. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, this is really cool. But I love that process you've gone through. And you've gone through, so just someone said, so you went to individual bikes and then you looked at that micro data, getting really into it, like within the bikes being like, okay, why aren't these selling? And so I'm right in saying that when you went into those shops, you were a bit like, okay, first one I'm trying to understand is not, not why aren't people buying these? It's more like, why aren't people able to sell them? Is that what you were looking at there? Yeah, yeah. Why isn't it being sold right? Why is the awareness not there? Why isn't it being presented properly? You know, like a couple of the guys I mentioned had very good existing businesses already and they were doing well out of their kind of cool um, traditional cycles and accessories. And um, But then the, the old boys in Battersea in, uh, that I referred to that were um, by the arches, by the power station, just it was just a joke. And then there was another shop in um, just by Islington. Um, and I literally walked in there and what it was is it was it was like a graveyard of dying Chinese crap bikes that were going into landfill, and I was just like, "This is devastating! Like, why why are these guys selling this cheap crap technology when there's good existing technology from you know like European manufacturers out there?" And it just wasn't being done, and I was just like, "This is mad." Yeah, yeah, I love that. And then you've got to look at the macro data, and you've seen that. Well, like it's, it's trend setting, isn't it? You know, you look at cooler cities in Europe and Amsterdam, or Berlin and Amsterdam, and a lot of the time, styles and fashion and technology ends up there, ends up coming here, as you quite right identify with things like kitchens and appliances and cars. You know, what they do there ends up coming. So you've just seen that early and you're, you know, you're, you're looking at the future. I love that strategy. In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. So you've done that. You've done your market research. You've figured out there's demand, but there's a gap. You're ready to be at the head of the helm there. Tell me about what happened next. So you, you move to East London. You embed yourself in the culture. You become a hipster. Yeah. You probably start riding a fixie and you buy a Brompton or something. And then you're like, look, this, this is it. I'm ready. So then you've done that. And now you've done that. Like, so you, now, you now chuck all your money at it and you go, you go balls deep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, 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 and how do I make a statement on thinking of, you know, like doing something with, with a fairly small budget? Now, you know, I'm happy to share the, the details with you. You know, I had um, I sold my property, um, and I'd done quite well on it. And during, you know, the kind of like boom, I got on the ladder in two thousand and five or six, and rented out my bedrooms to my mates. And then I, I bought a flat off plan, and I'd sold that, and I, I, you know, pulled out a few hundred grand, um, kind of profit, and I downsized from a, a, a you know, really nice apartment that I'd worked my way up to. Um, again, with, with with no help or assistance from anyone, and um, and then at that point, I, da- I I downgraded to a very to a very nice apartment to a loft in Hackney, and um, those that equity uh, was that I put into the business was um, was two hundred and seventy grand over a period of time. It started off being about one hundred and twenty, and then I put some more in. I actually bought a nice car and sold it for a profit, and kind of was doing that on the side to kind of yeah. Um, leverage myself and um and then uh and so, so i was ready to kind of press the button what i did is i found tfl we're doing we're regenerating um old street tube station i don't know if you remember when they did it but they did it it was 2013 
and uh, and I took a pop up there with a company called Appear Here, which was a two month pop up. I'd I'd already found myself a cool warehouse where I'd kind of like run it, building my digital side of the business and storing the bikes and you know by invitation only customers could come there. But I wanted to do this cool pop up and start getting some good PR. So I did the the, the pop up in the tube station, and everyone was like, "What kind of a an idiot opens a bike shop in a tube station where there's no cyclists?" And I was like please keep asking me this question because this is the question that's going to get me the reputation I need. Um, and uh, and that was the off-the-wall kind of first part that I did and I really made it a talking point. And it was like this, this, and I was like, well, the reason is is because we're a new category of commuter that's targeting eco-warriors, tube takers, city slickers, people that want to move carelessly through the streets and adapt to the city signs. And that that was it that was that was the whole thing we don't want cyclists you know like if, if they want to come in and change then great look your bike outside come down but we tube takers and, and people that were kind of stuck in the rat race that were just like tunnel vision that were just like oh god i hope my community i'm just getting there and that was that was for me what the what the really exciting kind of new market was is, is making non-cyclists cyclists so what made you think that that was the right audience for you? Because effectively, I was kind of one of them. And, and, and like a lot of my mates and, and peers and people from different age groups that I knew, they were. And it was like having done my basic research, talking to people and more advanced research, I figured it out that, you know, there was plenty of people that wanted to cycle, but there was too many excuses and I needed to eliminate those excuses. And I could do that. Yeah, I get that. That's the thing, isn't it? Everyone knows it's a good thing to do, but no one wants to put the effort in, right? Yeah. And also, surely it's quicker to get to work on an e-bike than it is. There's, there's, there's so many like amazing things for it. I, you know, I, I can tell you a few quick ones now. But it's like when someone's cycling, they're like, right, how do I get from point to point in the shortest minimal distance with the minimal effort and the quickest? And I don't care if I've got to go through dodgy roads because i just want to get there and get it over but with an e-bike it's totally like a different mindset you're like okay cool i'm really enjoying it i want to discover a new commute a new route and i want to take advantage of the more scenic tours which you can now do all through the e-bike itself as they're connected to the internet and you can literally type in into the navigation and do scenic tour and like you just it's so meditative so chilled out that you actually really enjoy your commute and it's not about getting from point to point it's it's a controlled exercise which you can control how much your heart rate goes and 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 really you want to discover a nice area away from the traffic which isn't polluted so your commute if you're like you know just trying to get from a to b the quickest possible it's definitely the quickest way in london to get around you know but actually if you just want to like enjoy yourself with ease, comfort, and, and actually have a nice experience, then that is the more popular way to use an e-bike and just get there quickly. But you can do both. Yeah, and no, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. So tell me, so you, how long have you been going now? When did you launch? Um, seven years. Seven years, seven. yeah. 2014 officially launched um, uh, in, in, in the old street tube. That was the first time we really popped our heads up. Um, and um, yeah. And what's been so over that time? And look, you guys are famous, you've done incredibly well. What's been like 
if you were to share a hack, like the thing you're most proud of that you figured out that other founders aren't doing and other people haven't done, you think, yeah, this is somewhere we really, we really nailed it. What would that be? I mean, one, I, I can give you a, a few, but okay. So one is, I, I believe that a good company is to do with the company you keep. Yeah, like the people around you. So I, I would say that's probably the most important thing is to have good people around you, not just, you know, like in your office, but, you know, around you, like your, your, your partner, your, your, your friends, they have to encourage you. And, and a lot of it, you know, I felt like, I've had enough, I've had enough, I can't deal with it anymore. It's too stressful, it's too hectic. And like even talking to competitors, considering selling my business or merging, I'm so pleased that I didn't and I, I kept going, even at those points of breaking point when things were looking really bad and it was like carrying the bins out by myself and doing like horrible, like demeaning kind of like tasks that just, and, and not making money, you know, I'm still putting more money into the business. And it was just like believing in myself and, and, and but having that support network was incredibly important. Um, and um, so, so yeah, good company in to make the company is, uh, is I would say, is, is the first major hack. Um, I respect that a lot. And I couldn't agree with you more. So what was, um, what was one of the biggest, big mistakes that you made? You look back and you're like, fuck's sake, why do I do that? Do you know what? I mean, there, there hasn't been um, that, that many. Um, it's been, been pretty lucky and, and had a pretty smooth um, ride. Pun intended. Nice. Yeah. No, like that. <laughs> yeah, there hasn't, there hasn't really been any, any, any big mistakes. I've kind of like, I, I sometimes think of myself as a really good Jenga tower player. So building the Jenga towers and just being, just like taking one out, silly, you know, like kind of willy nilly and then it's just falling down. But I haven't had, I haven't had any major, major issues. Obviously, I've had stressful moments, and but I've kept a a, a, a level head and, and not made any any um, big mistakes. We've we, we stayed very fluid as well. We've stayed very liquid in terms of like not um, kind of not getting a, a long long leases, for example, with our sites doing pop-ups where we can be quite fluid because effectively we're innovators. We're, we're the pioneers of, of this retail premium e-bike sector. And, um, you know, I've, I've, I've got the balance right with the digital. Um, actually, that's probably the mistake is um, I initially with the website, which was obviously important, but not as important as it is since this kind of reset COVID situation where people really online a lot more but yeah I, I kind of jumped into bed with um digital businesses um that were helping develop my digital footprint without really knowing how to speak digital and I was kind of like working off um off a kind of like chemical romance if you know what I mean with with the um with with the digital um companies i was like oh yeah it feels right you know oh yeah yeah yeah. and and actually i should have spent a bit more time um and and understood the importance of it because it's so expensive and, and to basically start it again with these digital companies is like it's like no one else wants to do their dirty work and clear up their mess so i actually had to, to start with one company it was all my own fault and, and i rushed into it and then the second digital company 
rushed into that as well thinking that it would just fix because i was so busy doing the physical side of the business and then and then doing that digital side i just didn't give it enough time and thought um, and i rushed it to begin with that and that ended up probably costing me um the guts of 100 grand um, that was that was somewhat wasted obviously i learned through it and um and i and i got but i could have probably done that a little bit less expensively in the first um 18 months of the business but then i because i didn't speak digital perfectly what i did was i found someone that did that i trusted um and and i got i brought them in-house so rather than using an agency um because i was kind of unsure of my requirements i brought him in-house and literally had him looking over my shoulder and me looking over his shoulder and just had him sat next to me every day and being like, yeah okay cool and we developed the understanding of our requirements together and uh, and that worked out and now our digital is absolutely obscene it's um, it's it's brilliant i mean we've put a lot of money into it a lot of time a lot of thought and um our youtube channel is is awesome um how, that's how we get our, a lot of educational awareness out there um in a fun way for people and um and rather than having you know we don't need 10 stores across london um to uh, to create that awareness because we have a really cool online journey for people and then we have expert really highly trained team members in our store on an appointment only basis and like i can tell you that we are the highest um, uh, profits um, per capita bike shop in the uk now and and basically it's because we don't have loads of retail stores we don't need them we we you know it's, it's the online that we finally got right and it's really cool and, and our customers can go online and learn all about these bikes knowing that the fully charged brand has basically done all of that hard work already to eliminate all of the bullshit all of the crap bikes and we've really selected best out there and um and made it really fun for people to learn and they can just come in or phone up and you know order online which we're seeing a huge huge increase in without even customers even speaking to us now great I love that. I love that. And um, super impressive, by the way. Really impressive. Okay, last question. Um, you're obviously a very philosophical guy. You're obviously very healthy as well. And being a founder is, is hard work. Um, what is your, I, whenever you ask anyone who's a founder, say, what's your productivity trick or piece of advice or your advice for keeping a level head in all these areas? Everyone has something they do. Yeah, that's a bit bit out there and a bit different, and I'm expecting that from you too. So, what would be your uh, your non business but business related piece of lifestyle advice to help people get through these hard times? So yeah, once a week I skydive to work. Um, no, no, that would <laughs> be, be amazing. I'd be into it. Yeah, <laughs> but no. Um, so this is only recent, um, but it's been hugely powerful, and I really highly recommend it. Um, but um, Wim Hof. Mate, you. On it. Mate, all right. You, you've, you've def finally someone who is in the same game as me. I'll show you this now. I'm like, I'm so obsessed with this. I'm like, what am I? I'm record. What's your breath hold record? Three oh eight. Yeah, nice, nice. I'm, I'm three forty five. But I'm... Jesus, three forty five. Yeah, only, only at one. I've only done it once. Yeah, and I've done like three thirty, three forty, but it was only over a two-day period. And what I did to get to that was I was I cut. I, I got my diet ridiculous. I was doing 
um, intermittent fasting and, and I was doing a keto diet with no processed food. So I went back to hunter gatherer and effectively I did it from January the 1st until March the 1st. Um, sorry, till March the 31st. And, um, and during the period of about, I think it was early March when I hit my peak of this hunter gatherer kind of keto diet, I was just like unstoppable. Um, and I did the three minutes 45. I was doing three minute cold showers. Absolutely no problem. You got to do it. Got to do it. Do you do it? Do you do, do you do your Wim Hof fasted? Do you do it in the morning or evening? When do you do it? So I do, I do it as I wake up and I, I try and keep uh, okay. my eyes closed when I wake up. So I, when I wake up, I'm like, I just start going straight into it and I do it first thing. Cause I've got, I've got kids. I've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old. My three-year-old is, oh. is quite quite punchy he's quite a, quite a wild little boy he's called wolf and um and basically uh yeah if, if i don't get it in then there's no other time and by the end of the day i'm too too tired and plus it charges me up as well no pun intended again but um oh yeah I, mate i love that you say that i i can't bang that drum hard enough i literally can't it's i've been on it for a year yep and i've been i haven't had any symptoms or anything for a year of any kind of like colds or anything yeah, just the, the change it gives in people is unreal. I can't recommend it enough. It's so good. The, the only thing about it is, is what you did in the, in the small print, is if you stop for a while, then you really do come quite crashing down quite hard. So I, I have a real um, problem with sugar. And basically, I, um, I kind of fell off the Wim Hof wagon and started eating all sorts of chockies and just got like totally out of control. And um, I don't drink a lot. But when I do drink, I like to have a drink. And I just had a few couple of weekends on the trot drinking. And then I just eased off the Wim Hof. This was back in about two months ago, um, like kind of April, April-ish. And I literally just stopped doing it. Um, and it just affected me so badly after doing it religiously for so long. Um, yeah. So, so I'm now back on it. And I've noticed the immediate like, transition. And it's, it's a really powerful... Um, it's life-changing it's life-changing yeah yeah and like yeah. you know getting rid of the stress hormones starting the day you know with a with a fresh nervous system you know that was balanced rather than going like if you you know another thing i say a lot is is don't be a warrior you know be a warrior and and that really i i, I say that to myself sometimes when i'm having the cold shower i'm like come on bring it yeah you can do it just go into it and i just because sometimes i do get you know like any founder i get you know, some anxiety and I worry myself, I wake up in the night thinking about things, checking my, my, my Bitcoin balance or whatever it may be. Oh, did you, I hope you haven't done it today. <laughs> I, I've checked, I've, I've, yeah, I've been, it, it crashed last night a little bit, so mm. I, I did some moving around today. Um, but, um, but yeah, I'm super into that as well. Don't move on a dip, mate. <laughs> Don't move on a dip. What are you doing? Move in. Well, I, I saw it happening, and I, Ethereum's gone up seventy percent like the last um, last two or three weeks. So yeah. I knew it was going to happen. I just saw it dip last night from it was up five percent down one percent. I just felt like just got out of all of my Ethereum. The first time I've done it, um, and um, but I'm really pleased I did. You know, just having a bit of fun with it. Well, Bitcoin's going to bounce now because Ethereum's having a bit of a wobble, which means the Bitcoin, although dipped, I reckon it's going to come back. I. Uh... I'm on it. All right. Well, we could talk about that all day. Ben, this has been amazing. You've been so helpful. Some of the advice you've given and your story has been great. 
I, thank you so much. Glad to meet another Wim Hof madman. And uh, look, it's uh, it's been great. And look, if you're ever in town, come take some towels and pop in for a, for a beer. Be great Mate, to meet please, you. please do. Please pop into um, showroom and, uh, and let's, let's get you off that little scooter and onto <laughs> your property bike. <laughs>